0: Welcome to the Refs Roundtable, part of the Wrestling with the Future podcast family of shows. My name is Mike Messier. I'm proud to uh, step up and host this show tonight. Uh, of course, this show is named in the honor of Jeff, the Ref Robinson, our good friend. Uh, he's uh, no longer with us on this earthly realm, but he's with us in the heavens, so to speak. And the uh, first guest that I'd like to bring on uh, as the host of the show tonight. Uh, Nikita, and Nikita, correct me if I screw this up, brother, Brezhnikov. Did you I get that, mic? Beautiful. Okay. And the, the, I, the reason why I'm so... Uh, are, um, I watched your movie today. Uh, the movie is titled... Brush with Danger. I watched it on Amazon Prime, and I'm going to ask the audience if they want to check out Nikita's acting, Nikita Brezhnikov's acting. Check out Brush with Danger. Uh, it's a brother and sister uh, story. Uh, Nikita plays kind of a good-natured police officer or or private investigator. Oh, no, no, detective. Uh, detective, yeah, yeah. Detective. And uh oh. it's a good movie. There's martial arts. There's um uh, there's it's a good it's a good story. And if people are looking to see Nikita as an actor, I want them to check that out. Brush with Danger. I saw it on Amazon Prime, but I'm sure there's many ways to see the movie, Nikita.
1: Yeah, they have the regular version available to on Amazon, the DVD and you can do all that stuff. Now to give you a quick background on that, Ken, the brother, he was actually a kickboxing champion in Indonesia. And nice. they, they really are into the martial arts taught me a lot over the years. Believe it or not, Libby, she don't look big, but I, I wouldn't mess with her. She's that good.
0: I enjoyed the movie. And, uh, on this, uh, episode of, uh, the rest round table, Nikita. I wanted to talk to you because you're a longtime wrestling fan like myself. Uh, you kind of you and I were kind of in the same area at different times. You saw a lot of shows at the Baltimore Civic Center, now known as the Baltimore Arena. I think mm-hmm. it's now called the Royal Farms Arena. Yeah. Um, I think you also went to the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, quite a bit. Absolutely. And um, around the time you were watching, there was a transition, I believe in nineteen eighty-two when 84 84 okay but the ownership changed from vincent kennedy no. mcmahon senior to vincent kennedy mcmahon jr which um i'm not sure if it was 82 or 84 but in any no, event you okay you're
1: correct but that was 83 right between the two
0: okay so we're both wrong <laughs>
1: yeah junior was taking over and i i could actually Referred to May 16th, 1983, because you see him at the entrance to the backstage area, and he's watching what's going on. He's doesn't have a jacket on. He's just in the vest, and is, you know he's dressed nicely, but he's in the promoter mode. He's not doing the commentary anymore. Gorilla Monsoon took that over, and Vince was running everything. So, yeah, it was right around July of 83.
0: And was that, um, or you, May? May of you witnessed that at a house show or on TV taping that TV, visually?
1: Yeah, you could see it on the TV taping actually. Yeah.
0: Nice. And um, now we fast forward, you know, what is it 37 years later to 2020 and Dutch Mantel kind of stored an uproar about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago with a tweet, good old fashioned tweeting. <laughs> Dirty Dutch, who's worked for the WWE as Zeb, Zeb Coulter and Uncle Zeb over the years as a manager, a mouthpiece, did some great stuff with Jack Swagger, We the People. And, um, but Dutch put out a tweet that got some people excited or curious. And the rumor that Dutch per- perpetrated was the WWE uh, would be selling. And I think the names that he dropped were um, ESPN, which is owned by Disney. And I could be wrong, either Dutch or somebody else also threw Fox out there. And, of course, WWE has been doing SmackDown on Friday nights on Fox TV. So the point is that um, in our United States world, which we pride ourselves on freedom of speech and freedom of expression and, you know, different arts, there really is like, I think it's six or eight major powerhouse entities uh, big big corporations that own a lot of stuff yeah. and even if the things that we think we enjoy that are kind of you know grunge rock or do-it-yourself or independent artist aesthetic a lot of that stuff is owned by a bigger company um i think of if i'm not mistaken miramax films in the 90s had like this edgy kind of vibe to it but i could be wrong i thought they were owned by disney um i could be wrong on that but i don't um, know. But what I want to talk about tonight with you, Nikita, is hypothetical, hypothetical situation. If the WWE is to sell, um, what would be the change for both WWE sports entertainment and professional wrestling at large? And uh, I do want to kind of, before we go too much further into the conversation, just so everybody knows, I'm talking hypothetical. I'm talking what if. I have no inside scoop beyond what everybody else does in Twitterville and Dave Meltzer observer and all these wonderful sources that have the inside scoop or they think they do not claiming to have any inside scoop folks. This is just a fun conversation. Uh, we're a couple of creative guys here Nikita and myself. And I think uh, this little existential journey, uh, might be interesting fodder, uh, to, to discuss. So, um, and the reason why I brought up the previous change of ownership, Vince McMahon paying, I think he paid his father um, $1 million for WWF or WWF at the time, was because that was like an in-family transition, father to son. Um, people aren't thinking this is going to go down like this this time. They're thinking it might be, you know, Vince uh still the primary owner to another major huge company like an uh, ESPN, and the whole idea of Shane McMahon or Stephanie McMahon and Triple H, her husband, inheriting this powerhouse of a sports entertainment pro wrestling company, it seems to be kind of put on a different level because if because people are guessing that a different company would buy. So Nikita, what what are your opening thoughts given all that? Well, first of all, if it came from Dutch,
1: it's <laughs> got to be. He's a wild guy, but he's no baloney. You know, he'll put it out there. He's got the balls to do that. So he'll make sure what he's saying, he can back it up. Now, will it happen? Hmm. Well, after this XFL tobacco, and I believe personally, again, no inside information, that was just a strategic move. Like when you file bankruptcy, you know, people used to hang their head and almost want to do suicide but it's like it's a maneuver it's not the same connotation it used to have so vince is not a dumb guy the xfl was never ever going to chase the nfl out of the game no more than some backwater indie promotion would chase vince out of the game it's just not going to happen so is was he preparing i would say yes because then i'll tell you why for the amount that i know of the man and watched through the years. And he's one of my... He is my favorite announcer of all time. Without a doubt. Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. He did the best job. He he could deliver it normal. He didn't get goofy and scream and holler like a carnival barker. He was great at it. But he would eat, sleep, and shit wrestling. He was the biggest fan there ever was. And he's got a big attitude and a big ego. And I really believe... I don't know his age, 70-something.
0: You know? He's 72 or 74 now, yeah.
1: Okay. He knows. He's starting to see. Like, the lights are starting to dim. You know, even if he's here another 10 years. You know. Or who knows what else is going on. I said this a few times in private conversations. Vince is going to kill this because he created it. I didn't like it in 1984 when the big transition took place. Like, I wrote about... In my book, if I may. When it was real. The day the music died. January 23rd, 1984. Hulk Hogan. Hulkamania begins. I'm not going to knock it. But it was different. Vince took it to the heights. Then he got beat down. When everybody started to go to Turner's money. He held his ground and came back. You know, he resurged. In 98, it was the thing again. Monday Night Raw was it. And it's the longest running television show in history
0: right
1: you know and actually professional wrestling is the longest running reality show when you think about it of all time
0: that's a great way of looking at it
1: yeah it's the very truth so vince has got to know time is getting short and i don't think he wanted to pass the baton i think he wanted to burn it and i think that's what you're going to see because it's not going to be if it doesn't have a mcmahon hand in it, it will be completely different, without a doubt.
0: And that's where I want to go with this. Um, If it doesn't have a McMahon hand, uh, let's get hypothetical. Um, What do you think a company, let's just use ESPN as an example, what would be the upside for them owning the WWE? Well, the name itself.
1: Most people, it's kind of like when WrestleMania tickets go on sale, they sell out quick. But these are not fans that watch every day or every night, every week even. They just go like the Super Bowl or the World Series. People are not really into baseball or football. Like I used to know box scores and averages and all that stuff. You know, these are casual fans only from name recognition alone. So there's a value to that, especially right now with the COVID thing going on. It's like just throw, throw something out there to them. Boom, boom, boom. And WWE, that's the name that everybody, just like Hulk Hogan, if you said to somebody, who's the greatest wrestler of all time? They wouldn't say Bruno, unless it was my era. They will say Hulk Hogan. And he's been gone for how long off the face of the, the main scene? You know, some may say The Rock, but they, I think, more associate him with Hollywood. It was probably
0: right. Hogan or Andre the Giant. which Maybe some would say Austin, but that's then you're veering more into wrestling fan territory.
1: Yeah. So it's kind of like people. It's like a a
0: headline. You don't get the true story.
1: You just the headline jumps out at you and then you got to read through it. And then it's like, ah, this is bullshit. It's not what the hell they led me in with. But that name
0: recognition,
1: I think that money is there for whoever ESPN, Fox, whoever wants to grab it.
0: I guess another upside I would look at is just um, filling those programming hours. And ESPN right now. I mean, I, I watch a show called First Take. It's Stephen A. Smith, Max mm-hmm. Kellerman, um, female uh, moderator Molly Queerum Rose. It's about sports. So for two months, <laughs> they ha- they've they've debated about sports having fans in attendance. They've debated about Tom Brady going to Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the Patriots. They've debated endlessly about LeBron James and Michael Jordan, which one's better. And now they're doing like show reviews of the Michael Jordan doc. My point is ESPN, even their talk shows are desperate for material and um, they've got a UFC thing coming up this weekend from Jacksonville, Florida. I don't think there'll be fans allowed, but, When ESPN is now looking at this pandemic and they're looking at the fact that they're kind of caught with their pants down, they're a sports programming network and they have ESPN2, have ESPN+, and they have nothing to show except reruns and sports talk shows about old material, um, that the WWE library of wrestling matches, that's a great score for them if the price is right. Because then they've just tapped into endless hours of programming that they can package, they could have talking heads, they could have celebrities. I mean, now I'm doing their job for them, but they could have celebrities talk about their favorite pro wrestling match and then show the wrestling match. Um, So my point is for an ESPN uh, type of thing, the upside is the programming, the filling those hours.
1: Well, you know, that's why we have so much backbiting and going for the throat on Facebook over politics, because these news programs have to fill these continuous hours and they can't rerun. Or they did for a while, but then the, the, when the first guy broke out and started to do 24 hour service, everybody had to fill in. So how do you fill these time slots? There's so much like the chief used to say, gaga out there. And okay, that makes sense that one of these major sport networks would pick it up and say, hey, let's fill a time slot. You see TV shows over the years, it's like, who watches this garbage? But they're filling a slot. Well, they're right. going to put up there. You know, it used to be years ago, they would do 24 shows in a season. And then the summer would be reruns and you'd watch another network that when it was three networks that you didn't see during the regular run. So you could catch up and then come September, you get fresh material. But I'm going to say with the sports, you you need to be a little bit more precise because a sports purist is going to want to say, like you say, they're getting sick of the reruns, not me. I'd rather sit down and watch the 1970 World Series rerun for the 20th time than I would see today's, but I just don't follow it today. But that's me. And they'll say, oh, but you know the outcome. It's like, so what? I'm still enjoying watching that. Watching those, what we didn't know at the time, Hall of Fame games. You know, it's right. like, man, this is incredible. Just like with wrestling of the 70s. They were all Hall of Famers. Future, but still. The quality is just unbelievable. Now, Vince himself used to do the same thing when we talk about filler. When he would put out these DVDs, my God, how many times has the Bruno Superstar match been on a DVD? The one from April 30th, 1977, when Billy Graham wins the belt. I must have 10 copies of it on different uh, brands. It's like, man, how many times are you going to show us this? give us something we haven't seen superstar had a lot of title defenses, you know, now for a while there when they had that 24 seven network. Yeah, that was great. I was a subscriber because they were showing, they would pick every month. It would be like killer Kowalski, Strongbow, steel, somebody. And then they would show a lot of their match. But then after a while you were starting to see repetitive, it was the same stuff. And it's like, you're losing me now, but I I still subscribe because they would slide in a nice surprise once in a while. But when they went to this network that they have on the the uh, computer, yes, um, I stood with it for a while. But then it it was like the older material was like you were trying to put a puzzle together with all of the pieces turned upside down. It would have a hard time. You couldn't just type in Bruno San Martino and find it. It would be just Drumbled, and you had the search, and it's like I don't have time. No, don't I don't want to see ECW. I don't want to see today's material, and that was always there. Boom, 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 boom. The, sure. the per view. This is that. It's like, man, the last thing they had me on. It was a great uh they what I call a dumping of their all-star wrestling shows from seventy-eight to eighty. That was beautiful. I subscribed. Right. I was watching, and man, I was so happy. And then. After that, it was really starting to get tough to find things. So it was like searching in the dark with a
0: match. It's like eh. Time trying to find new old stuff. <laughs> yes. Good way up. well Nikita, um, I wanna venture forth and say um if hypothetically if the WWE McMahon's were to sell You know, whatever stock they have left, because apparently even before this XFL thing started, the story was that Vince sold a bunch of his WWE stock in order to finance the XFL. So that was a story that was going around. Uh, Just another story. I don't want to ignore it, uh, is that apparently there's several lawsuits going on right now of WWE investors suing uh, either WWE or Vince himself because they feel that they were misled or funds were misappropriated or some such thing uh, involving the WWE and the XFL. Um, WWE had some controversy attached to it the last couple of years with their shows in Saudi Arabia. Um, I was very outspoken about those shows. I thought that doing shows in Saudi Arabia where the women weren't initially allowed to perform was sending a mixed message. Uh, they were promoting this women's evolution, Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Bailey, Sasha Banks. But yet when they go over to Saudi Arabia, they leave the women off the show. Um, and beyond that, Sami Zayn, because of his Syrian heritage, was not welcome to be on those shows. And Alistair Black, because of his tattoo of a female dragon on his back, was not allowed to be on the show. So I had moral issues with WWE, and I'm wondering if people like myself – who, you know, I, 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 don't watch with one eye open, so to speak, you know, like I, I emotionally, am not as invested in WWE as I used to be, but I keep hoping that it turns around and in certain times, such as when WrestleMania, you know, five or six weeks ago was playing, I watched it because I want them to do well. You know, I want WWE to survive in some format to keep this thing called professional wrestling going. So I'm wondering if there might be a surge of interest of, they use the term lapsed fan. Uh, I think there was a podcast years ago, the lapsed fan. Will there be lapsed fans who maybe gave up after, you know, CM Punk left the company or they gave up like when Hulk Hogan won the title, you know, whatever it was that certain lapsed fans say, well, you know, wrestling died when WCW went out of business or whatever it is that certain fans have left, and even if they watch once in a while or watch, watch WrestleMania once a year, but their emotional attachment to pro wrestling has faltered a bit, would some of those fans give it a second chance or a third chance if the McMahons were to sell to other people?
1: Oh, absolutely. Just out of curiosity alone, you would attract that much. It's kind of like when Hogan won the belt. You brought in a whole new regime of fans. Okay, yeah. they to see, and you put it on MTV, and then it and, and our uh, NBC's Saturday night main event. It's like, wow, hey, this stuff is hitting the mainstream. This is not on your UHF channel anymore with the rabbit ears and the aluminum foil. It's like, hey, this is right in your face, NBC. So, yeah, I think it would, but you know, I didn't know Vince had sold his shares, I didn't, not all I, of them, all just uh, not just all. all,
0: but what
1: no, sell so the controlling share without a doubt no he, he could still maintain that i know el- enough about stock and trading and things like that i've dabbled in it and that's uh that's eye-opening that that was done so there's there's, there's lawsuits i didn't know that
0: there's there's there two two separate stories vince sold some of his shares of wwe be- to finance the xfl so he could liquidate his own money that was in WWE in order to put that money towards XFL now that the XFL has declared bank bankrupt- bankruptcy in 2020 you know after the coronavirus and the, the truth is their ratings were falling every week before that anyway I'm sure I'm- so so what people apparently the story that got released was something to the effect of that there was like three or four law firms coming after Uh, either the WWE or the McMahons themselves for, um, you know, I I think the terms were misleading information. Um, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't work for the Wall Street Journal, but I mean, those articles are online so people can fact check whatever I'm saying. But um, my, my overall point is at at 72 or 74 years old, maybe Vince is just feeling to hell with it. And like you said, rather than pass the baton, he, he wants to cash in the baton. Um, Somebody posted
1: that exact wording. Vince is in a to hell with it attitude. Right. With everything. And you've seen a lot of people released recently. And these are some very good people that have been with the company a long time. Jerry Briscoe was put on furlough. Yeah. Yeah. It's eye opening. You know, it's, you know, Howard Finkel just passed away. And God rest his soul. We love Howard. Yes. What a coincidence. You know, at least Howard was spared all of that. But then you got to wonder what's going to happen to a guy like Darren Drozdov, who was, had his neck broken. And I know they've been taking care of him for a while. I recently saw a story about that. And I'm glad to see it. And, you know, it happened on their watch, so obviously they're, they're locked into that. But what's going to happen to somebody like that? You know, and you got uh, more situations than we know. I'm sure Vince has probably got more lawsuits. I mean, you know, it, it just goes with the territory. Nobody's ever going to be happy, especially with dealing with private contractors, which is what that is, you know. And it's like somebody's going to feel like they didn't like me for this reason. She's going to say she didn't like me for that reason. and It just goes on. That's why I would never want to be in that position to own right. or be any kind of a, a, a decision maker. This is a litigious society. Everybody's quick to pull the trigger on the lawsuit, win, lose, or draw. But the thing is, justice is neither swift nor cheap. You better have deep pockets. So good luck to it.
0: I just want to explain for the younger fans. Uh, Darren Drozdev was uh, probably most famously known for his little cameo in Beyond the Mat documentary. Um, but he was a WWF wrestler. He was, you know, upper mid card talent. Mm-hmm. And he was wrestling D Lo Brown, uh, I believe, at a SmackDown taping. This match never aired on TV. Uh, and this was, I want to say, September of 1999 and um it was kind of sadly enough 2 or 3 months after owen hart's death in the ring and then you had this as another tragedy pretty soon after just like i said 3 or 4 months after and basically dlo was going to do a running powerbomb on draws um this the two guys have both said it was an accident something happened where their bodies just shifted uh it's just a, a really lousy accident and draws took the power bomb he either was executed wrong or he took it wrong or some combination and basically he he will never walk again because he was uh, instantly uh I, I think he was paraplegic or quadriplegic and um so the point nikita's making is that that guy has been on the wwe payroll i think for almost for over 20 years and i'm not sure exactly what he does for the company initially he was writing some uh, material for their wwf raw magazine um but i don't think he does that anymore um but you're right it's kind of like these people that um the wwe has on their payroll as a favor out of respect some of these legends contracts for instance will that's and and even the wwe's policy of sending certain guys uh, to re- rehab, you know, if drug rehab, they've they've paid the bill for many of their former talents to go to drug rehab, and and the joke is that sometimes Hunter is you know sending his old buddies to to rehab, but will those policies, official or unofficial, continue if a company like ESPN, which is owned by Disney, they look at this payroll and they've got all these ex wrestlers who don't longer do anything, will that carry over? And I think. Probable ideas that probably wouldn't.
1: No, I'm sure they would have an option. And I would imagine that would be declined. And to a little bit more elaborational, Draz, I mean, he was no small guy. He played for right. the Denver Broncos, uh, University of Maryland. I was with him just before that, July 22nd, Outlaws of Wrestling show in Atlantic City. He was a just a beautiful person. Still is, but I mean, you know, before that happened, complete accident. surprised it doesn't happen more often it happened to bruno you know bruno was he's like a gorilla so he was able to sustain it was a similar kind of a situation you know his was a slam and you know stan hansen yes and it was like but bruno came back in two months count him two months and he was back in the ring and it's like you know that was unbelievable but yeah, I doubt that they would want to take those liabilities on, but that could be part of the package. Who knows? And yeah. you know? uh,
0: Just just to distinguish, it wasn't anything. Uh, obviously it wasn't. Bruno was tougher or anything than, than draws. It was just a, the nature of the accident was different. And I think that draws being elevated, you know, six feet above Delo's shoulders and then dropped the wrong way. Um, And I think draws recently was on one of the dark sides of the ring, the brawl for all episode. So we did get to see draws in his home.
1: I I saw a picture of him recently. Yeah. And look, this guy, his spirits are unbelievable. So, you know, it's like, wow. His attitude is like, he's remarkable.
0: So let's get back to this hypothetical. What if Nikita scenario, um, You know, pro wrestling or or not not pro wrestling, but WWE in particular, to me, has been creatively stagnant for quite some time. And every once in a while, we'll see something like Daniel Bryan will make a heel or a baby face turn and that'll get some emotion or he'll retire and then he'll come back. And, you know, Mm -hmm. certain there's certain key players that Daniel Bryan's one of them. Um, Becky Lynch, I think they kind of the way that I think they handled Becky Lynch was that. They iced her heat like she was getting a lot of attention. She was very organic and getting that attention. And it seemed like the WWE was afraid that she'd take off beyond their control. And they started putting her in the opening matches on a pay-per-view. They started having her apologize to Shane and uh, to, to Stephanie and Triple H. They started doing things with her character that they didn't make her they didn't squash her, but they didn't do her do, they didn't do her favors. Um, and
1: see, uh, Mike, you know, this is gonna tie into what we talked about earlier, content. But in this day and age, you have to have the content, and it's like it's too much exposure. And just what you said, you can either turn mm-hmm. face to heel, who cares anymore? Champion, you've been championed 25 times, who cares anymore? That doesn't have any bearing. So it's like, what do you do? How do you keep people interested? They're not. You know, we always talk about the 70s, the 80s, even some of the 90s, when people would probably want to bash your face in if you called it fake. Not just Dr. Schultz, but it was like, Man, you go to a wrestling arena and start spouting that off, you're going to get punched in the face. I can guarantee that. You better keep your opinions outside. Nobody wants to hear them. So it's like that was a different era, of course, because you had one hour of television and everything else took place in the arena. So that was great. You you could really keep you keep us chasing the carrot. That was nice. That was no problem. And then when we have the Internet and you got all this content on television, how in the hell do you keep people interested? Nikolai used to say it. What are they going to do next? Cut that guy's head off? You know, it's like you're diving over tables and things are on fire in some place. It's like, oh, my God, what a mess. What do you and How do you top that? Because then people want to see what's next. OK, you did that. You stood in front of a bus. OK, that's great. Now, who's next? And what is he gonna do or what is she gonna do? And it's like
0: Well, I think that one thing that's and, and that's kind of on the topic of what is wrong with WWE or what have where have they gone askew? And I guess my thought is hearing what you just said, and Nikita is a hardcore wrestling fan, you know, just as much as any of us, if not more. So my feeling is that a company like ESPN, who has ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN College, the, the ESPN Plus you know that they want subscribers to, and they want to have pay-per-views on that, and they've been doing that with UFC. But can you imagine if they suddenly, ESPN on their roster, had a beautiful Sasha Banks, well-spoken Sasha Banks, a beautiful Becky Lynch, uh, Charlotte Flair with her uh, father. If they had uh, all these good looking guys, too, they had a Drew McIntyre, you know, six foot nine, six foot ten. uh, I guess he's seven feet tall. Drew McIntyre coming in, who's probably more articulate than any of the uh, athletes they have on there now. So my point is that if the WWE and all these contracts were to carry over the people that they still have under contract, the Drew McIntyres, the Seth Rollins, I'm not sure about uh, Roman Reigns status right now but if you have these photogenic good-looking athletic people who can also talk and a lot of pro athletes let's be clear a lot of them can't carry an interview you know for every for every athlete who can have a decent interview there's probably 10 or 20 that can't and and you're kind of peppering your ESPN product in your shows like I said, Becky Lynch, like her or not, she's a very gorgeous woman. And and, uh, and Sasha Banks and so forth. So I, that, I, was,
1: that was why you had the managers years ago, because they could do the talking. If you had somebody that was just uh, standing there, was like, OK, let the ma- little Albano Blassie or the Wizard do the talking. And they just stand back there and they look intimidating. You had great people like Morocco who could just go on. He didn't need anybody. Slaughter was great. So many others. Or somebody that was going to just talk like a Spiros about what was coming up and what, how he liked to do what he was doing. So that was fine. But there are, you're right. There are many people that get out there and it's the deer in the headlights and they'll, okay, let the manager run with it. But today they don't have a lot of managers. I think what we're going to either see, there's a couple of scenarios. Whoever takes them over, if it happens. And again, we don't know. We're not
0: hypothetical.
1: Yeah, we're not uh, dangling anything for anybody. We, <laughs> could not, but if it was to happen, you're going to have to have a transition, or it'll be a nightmare scenario where you got a Johnny, a lot of Johnny Come lately that say, "Oh, I don't know what to do. I'll, I'll take it over." And I was like, "Oh boy, this will really be silly." Or they'll just do it the right way, have a transition team. You know, let the maybe the McMahon family that's running it now kind of get it going. Or they'll keep them on. Maybe they'll put them on a payroll even. But if you just try to flip this and try to make it a whole different animal, make a giraffe out of a lion, it's going to be ridiculous.
0: Nikita, let's let's go for a few minutes into the past. Now, this show is Wrestling with the Future, uh, the refs round table. So with that theme of the future, that's where we're having this hypothetical scenario. But I want to kind of explore the idea of – and I've been doing some research. There's a lot more research to do, but I mean, things like the Georgia wrestling war of the 1970s, where you had a uh, Ray Gunkel was a promoter in Georgia of, of NWA wrestling. And apparently uh, after a match with my buddy, Ox Baker, uh, Ray passed away. Mm-hmm. And so Ray had this beautiful, really gorgeous, uh, woman, uh, Anne Gunkel was his young wife. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently she wanted to, she thought, Hey, I'm the widow. I should run this wrestling territory. And a lot of the the boys, the wrestlers said, yeah, we're going to go with Ann. But apparently uh, Bill Watts was somehow involved uh, from what I saw today. Maybe I got the information wrong, but you know, there was a wrestling war that lasted several years. And and at least two years before it could be worked out and they got things cleared up. And then the same Georgia area as a hotbed, eventually eight, eight years later or so, you had Black Saturday, the WWF, you know, Vince McMahon, once again, taking over the Saturday night WTBS show. And I, it just got me thinking about some of the history of different wrestling promotions coming and going, AWA, world-class. Um, Nikita, what, what are your thoughts on some of the history of wrestling promotions that have come, gone, uh, territory wars, promotional wars?
1: Well, you know, back in the 70s, then they all worked together. Now, I can only speak of the East Coast, which is what i was associated with as a fan i was just a punk kid back then but we knew what we had madison square garden was black friday every month that was the anchor of the company you know so they had to if they didn't come out in the black like businesses do on black friday then the whole situation was going to fail but yet you had And what people fail to understand, the championship wrestling show was always geared towards what was coming at the Garden. It's great if Phil Zacco in Baltimore and Philadelphia could play off of that, and he would. But they would have their own little things going on in Baltimore, like Bobo Brazil. When he carried Baltimore for the summer of 73, a lot of people didn't know what was going on because we didn't have television there. But we knew it. And then North Attleboro, every Friday night, Jack Witchy's place. They would have their own little thing going on. Because, in fact, from the Boston Garden, there was a battle royal March 30th of 73. Fred Blasey got into it, two heels now, with Buddy Wolf. And he busted Buddy Wolf open, threw him out, eliminated him from the battle royal. But they didn't have a way to follow that up. I, I guess schedules conflicted. But Witchies did a couple of weeks later. They had to match Freddie Blassie against Buddy Wolf. And I guess people would be like, well, why are they wrestling? But you had to know a little bit of that history of what was going on. Uh, there were so many independent promotions within the WWF. They, but they all worked in concert with McMahon Sr., Phil Zacco, who was vice president. Monsoon, you know, he was one of the chief operating officers. So there wasn't anybody trying to run rogue because they knew I got to survive, too. It's kind of like a franchise today where people buy a McDonald's franchise or a Burger King. That's why when this thing about the minimum wage comes up and they say, oh, well, you know, they got the corporations got billions. Yeah, but the poor sucker that it's like a mortgage that bought into that. He does. And he's got to pay corporate a certain percentage every month. He doesn't have that kind of money. So these guys, I guess they, I don't know the particulars. They probably had the same kind of situation where, hey, we're using WWWF talent. Even though it's my show, I'm sure some of it had to go back there. And they knew the importance of working together instead of trying to step out. Now, see, back there was a local promoter named Dennis Carluzzo in New Jersey.
0: NWA, yeah.
1: Yeah, NWA that Dennis carried the brand for him back in the 90s. He was doing great work. Uh, He was a good friend of mine. Uh, He he was a brilliant wrestling mind. But other people, other independent promoters, instead of working with him, undercut him. They would say the show's canceled or they would uh, do whatever on the net was really starting to come to be then. Post different messages and, you know, it would affect the house.
0: This is like early 93, 94? 24. Well,
1: this is actually later, I'd say. Okay. When I actually was involved with it and I saw things going on, it's like, you know what? If you guys work together, you're not going to beat McMahon, but you could all make a, have a slice of the pie. You may not have two, but you'll have one slice. But no, they didn't want to do that. They were trying to cut Dennis's throat, stab him in the back,
0: and then it was like, well, now everybody fails. And McMahon wins. So You're, telling, now you're talking about like 98, 99? Yes, exactly. Now, now, Nikita, a couple of things. I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, You mentioned something that you may not have realized kind of blew my mind a little bit. Because you, the way that you were talking about the Jack Witchy and my my buddy Steve Feinberg used to go to those Jack Witchy shows. and He's a Rhode Islander. He would drive up to Attleboro for those Jack Witchy shows. And the people in New England still talk about it. And whenever they do talk about it, Nikita, they always say that back when they were wrestling fan, it was Bruno, Andre, Strongbow, Morales. And it's almost like they say the same four or five guys. It's always Bruno, Andre. You can you, you start mouthing along with some, you know someone saying it. But um, you were describing the WWWF in a way that I'd never heard before, which was almost like a territory where different uh, venues up and down the East Coast were doing kind of their own separate angles and promotions and or not promotions but angles and storylines like Blassie turning on the guy in the Battle Royal. Uh would you say it was Buddy Wolf? Um, Wolf? yeah, and and I never thought that WWF was ever like that, like a wild, wild west, because when I started watching, it was like you were getting that weekly syndicated show and then they were popping in the promos for your local arena. But at some point, I became aware that my local arena was more or less the same house show as Philadelphia, more or less the same thing as MSG or Boston, you know, the same type of five or six matches, maybe with some, you know, some of the matches were a little mixed up, but a lot of the stuff was the same. The way you were describing Nikita was almost like the NWA, like where you had your world class, your mid-Atlantic. Can you you go into that for a minute? Because that seemed to me, that's that's something I never really heard with the WWF being a collection of different little venues. Well, now, see, in
1: Baltimore, I bet you a lot of people don't know that the big cat Ernie Ladd had a feud with Professor Tanaka that was settled. Mm -hmm. And that started, uh, it was a match with Morales and Tanaka, and Ernie Ladd got involved. And then Sonny King came out, showboat Sonny King. And then there was a tag match the following month. And then Tanaka and Ladd, they mixed signals and they got into it. So then they had a match to settle everything. And it was like, yeah, that was really cool for us in Baltimore. But people outside of that area, they had no clue that was going on. Now, there were some nice magazines. The Ring Wrestling, or the, uh, the Ring Wrestling Magazine back then was really good for reporting things like that. Legitimate stories with legitimate results. Once in a while, you could find those gems. But basically, you had to be there, or you didn't know that was going on. And they would run, like, uh, this day in 1978. For me, it's still May 6th. So it was uh, Ken Patera was going to wrestle back long. Now, I didn't even know what was going on. We thought Patera, we were told, because they shot a quick... St- promo for that day wasn't behind the ring or in front of the ring with the groups behind it was a curtain so they must have slapped this together quick they said well there's been a shifting that has taken place between the managers Blassie with Arion and Albano with Patera and now we have Spiros Arion's going to wrestle Backlund tonight and it was like oh well, you know they're trying to screw Backlund up with these training for Patera and as like it's all bullshit because Vatera left the area. He got pissed off. Right. He came back for one more match in the garden, but they get that payday. But that would satisfy that debt. But he was done and we didn't know about it. But that night instead, we got to see Arion against Backlund. And it was great, even though he came in expecting Vatera against Backlund. And it was like. Eh, you know, uh, what? The, you know, but we had that buildup as we went into the arena that night. But again, you didn't know what Boston had going on. Nobody knew what was going on in Philadelphia because we didn't have the net. And man, these small places like uh, Gene Dargan, he was a promoter in Pennsylvania. I saw his name come up not long ago. People brought him up. And he in Steubenville, Ohio. That was kind of like the last stop before you crossed into the next territory. So Steubenville had their things going on. And again, you would have like Putsky and Maivia teamed up a lot throughout the East Coast before Maivia had his heel turn. But you didn't really hear about that because it wasn't on television. Now, if you went to the arenas, which this night again, Maivia and Putsky teamed up against the Grand brothers. That was just like wow, people were crazy for that. I mean, we we love Putski, we love my fantasy superstar with his brother. That was just like wow, because they didn't really do much with that and throughout the entire WWF because superstar was in such demand. Still, Was, it, was back-
0: it Eddie Graham or Luke Graham? That was the Luke, brother, crazy Luke. Crazy Luke, okay. And we, were,
1: we were over for crazy Luke because he would do that. Uh, we would holler, Crazy Luke, Crazy Luke, and he'd mess his hair up and he'd go goofy and then the face would take over on him. So he was over in Baltimore. Then when he teamed up with Billy Graham, it was like, Wow, this is just a great team.
0: Was no, Eddie I, was Eddie part of was Eddie Graham
1: never, never part of the brothers. Or, never had him involved. He came along he, he had a little bit of a spot in the eighties, I believe. Dr. Jerry came back shortly, but uh, never in the seventies. In sixties, of course, but never in the seventies. Not WWWF anyway.
0: Um, Nikita, um it's interesting uh to me uh, that your knowledge and uh of these territories, uh, the Baltimore uh, landover, uh it's pretty profound, pretty deep. And one thing I remember uh that you and I might have overlapped a bit was in the Capitol Center. Special Delivery Jones was not a job guy uh, all the time. In fact, he was a main event guy <laughs> and a couple of times, but he was a main event guy when he was tag teaming with Rocky Johnson. And they were called the Soul Patrol. And then later on, they would call on TV, you know, Tony Atlas and Rocky Johnson the Soul Patrol. And I always felt that SD Jones kind of got the short end of that stick somehow because. I guess his physique was not as big as Tony's and Rocky's. so. But Well, now,
1: wait a minute. You're, you're on something there, Mike. But uh, Jones and Atlas had a shot at Fuji and Saito in 1981, November 14th at the Spectrum. And Chief was actually pushing to get SD and Tony Atlas the belts. He, he thought they would be a great team together. And they loved each other, without a doubt. They got along famously. But... You know, Vince had other ideas. I, My opinion, I think Pat Patterson had some influence into that decision. I think Pat brought Rocky in from the West Coast, not saying anything against it because Rocky was a great talent. But we never had the exposure to Rocky Johnson until 1982. He would never been on the East Coast, at least in the 70s. But uh, when he came in... It did look like a great team. Atlas and Johnson, it's like, oh, two powerhouses. How can they go wrong? You know, so I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. But apparently it was. But we always did love S.D. Jones. We did. He he was uh, he was like the people's representative. He's out there. He's (laughs) doing everything he's got. And at the end of the match, he ends up on his back. It's like us, you know, We're up (laughs) every day. It's like, son of a bitch. We end up looking up at the lights, you know, damn it.
0: And he 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 was a wrestler who transported from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Antigua in the West Indies, which I always found interesting that his hometown made a drastic change. And uh, SD, I think, had two LJN action figures. One was the traditional red trunks, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready to get beat look, and one was the West Indies look. So it, it's interesting that certain guys of... Uh, You know, I I made a funny meme last night just to piss people off. It was, it is, uh, this was a meme I put in a wrestling group called uh, Old School Wrestling on Facebook. I said, uh, uh, it is politically incorrect to call preliminary wrestlers jobbers. The correct term is star builders. And I put this meme in a wrestling old school group just to... See what would happen, and I got so many comments, so many ups downs. You know, pe- people defending what I said. Uh, of course, the, the term star builders, I just made it up. You know, nobody in the wrestling business has ever said, "Oh, that guy's a great star builder." No one's ever said that. It doesn't even sound right. If anything, you call it a star maker. But it, it's just funny that if you mention the term jobbers as politically incorrect, it got a visceral reaction from people. People were uh, quick to quick to judge quick to speak up the
1: most uh prolific name i heard was enhancement talent
0: yeah yeah people people use that one a lot which is fine carpenter i kind of like um but i i because the idea is that the carpenter builds the house and but um y- you must have seen guys like johnny Rods and, and baron Mikhail sakula in his later years and you yeah. know johnny rods to me i, I was watching on uh, one of these old uh, house show tapes of WWF, Johnny Rods went in there with a the guy. I think it was Steve King. Now Steve King has the most uh, platonic Caucasian boring name ever, but he was a Latino guy.
1: Yeah, and... <laughs> right, his wife posted me on Facebook. Oh she, yeah, she really appreciate. And Johnny Rods, my amigo. I love Johnny Rods. He, he's a tough son of a bitch, and he. You know, people say, well, what? Johnny Rods never won a match. Well, you're wrong. He did win many matches, but his job was to enhance the talent. But he was the enforcer as well as the true test. They want to find out what somebody's got, put him in there with rods and see if they can survive or not. But Steve King's wife really appreciates his memory that when people talk about him, when his name appears on a lot of the things that I post daily, and it's got nothing to do with the book. It's got to do with, I love it because my book doesn't have those kind of pictures in it, you know, and no. uh, there's clippings, but uh, it's, I stop at 1979. So I go on to 83, which is for me, part of my love, but uh, Steve King, yeah, he gave a hundred percent when he'd get in there and he was somebody we did by Joe Turco at the, Twilight of his career, the Continental Nobleman. We loved him to watch Joe Turk. And he wouldn't do much because he was an right. older guy, but he was very vocal. And he was like a comedian. But of course, that was like an opener. So you didn't want to go out there and take away from the main bouts. So you just go out there and warm up the crowd. That was great. Like I watched- Moose Monroe was another one. All yeah. Moose could do would be, whoa, you know, we loved that shit. It was great.
0: There was a match with uh, Johnny Rods in the opening match, and I swear to God, Nikita, I've never seen a guy wrestle both sides of the match before. This was kind of like if Bret Hart had to wrestle a broom. Johnny Rods was taking this guy, and he was, and it wasn't. It wouldn't be something that if I was in the arena that night, or if I was watching this on TV as a kid, I would notice. But just listening to all the shoot interviews, watching all the wrestling stuff doing ring announcing myself and so forth. I could at this advanced age of wrestling fandom, pick it up. Like Johnny was putting this opponent through the moves. Like even when the other guy was doing the move on Johnny, Johnny was expertly kind of manipulating this guy. And I was like, Johnny rods is he's not wrestling himself, but he's wrestling both sides of this match. And, uh, I was very impressed. Um, we're coming up on the hour, and I I just I do want to make this show uh, uh, about an hour long, Nikita. So we got about four minutes to talk, and I um, I just think that it's an exciting. You know, we're let's face facts, folks. We we want to encourage everybody if you're going out and about, wear your masks or your neck gaiters or your bandanas across your mouth. And what people don't realize, just to change gears real quick, is the reason why I say that is because some of us might be out there. Um, as holders of this coronavirus, not even realizing that. And if you are covering your mouth and your nose, you're doing a public service for other people to not spread this thing. And um, I know that throughout the country and throughout the world, different places are allowing for more social interaction at this time. But what I want to, you know, kind of publicly do is just encourage people Try to keep that as much as you can to a minimum because this coronavirus, it's still killing people. Uh, a buddy of mine's in the hospital with this thing. I'm seeing people on Facebook every day saying their mom died, their aunt died. It's a serious deal, folks. So while, while we want to enjoy our freedoms again, just be respectful of the fact that the hospitals uh, and, and the doctors and nurses in this country have to take care of people. So try to lessen the load. Uh, Get off the soapbox here and go back to Wrestling Nikita Um, Do you I guess a two point Question do you still Watch um, current Wrestling or do you Watch old school wrestling Exclusively Do do you What's your kind of viewing Plan so to speak Old school
1: exclusive I have an extensive Collection and I'm definitely kept well entertained. I probably, if I tried to sit down and watch it all from end to end, I could not do it. It would take years. I go from 1970 to 1983. I, I've got an 84 collection, too, because I did enjoy Nikolai and the Sheik's run. That was a great tag team. And Slaughter and the Sheik was just fantastic feud, so I could never leave those out. But I pretty much cut off at 83
0: and and you watch on VHS tape or DVD what what's your DVD,
1: material DVD i they took me kicking and screaming back about
0: 19
1: i'm going to say 93 uh, i just i thought i would never switch cuz i had the extensive VHS collection but then my wife convinced me she said you know this is the new medium and i'm i'm an old school television buff like batman combat voyage to the bottom of the sea so i wanted to get those collections and it's like everybody's going to have 150 vhs tapes and then i saw one day it was a little expensive in the beginning but it's like man you can get a whole season in this little box that's neat and then i was watching as i was transferring my vhs to dvd it's a good thing i did because I was starting to see those famous lines, and that meant the tape is starting to go. And it's like, oh, man, this is good timing. Because, And I tried not to watch them too much. I'm a crazy, like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. I'd have a backup to the backup to the backup. I still do with the DVDs. And it's like, man, but tape was taped. You know, it was going to wear out. Not to mention, where the hell do you store all that stuff?
0: Well, I, I hear you. And um, is there... A- with your advanced collection, like for instance, Nikita, I thought, you know, sometimes I think, Oh, I've seen all the wrestling there is to see. I'm on Amazon prime a couple of nights ago. And I find this Detroit wrestling Mm -hmm. and Terry funk is in there like a clean shaven, Terry funk. And he's saying some pretty hardcore stuff. And they had some football player that was a legitimate NFL player that was there to wrestle. And I'm like, this is pretty wild stuff. And, um, it's just interesting to me, you know, and a friend of mine I'll give him credit uh Miguel Souza back when I was in college, you know he said to the it was the wrestling geeks and the Star Wars nerds in the same room, and Miguel made a point to the Star Wars nerds, he said, You know, you guys have got like six movies, us wrestling fans have got endless, endless, endless material, and even now you know the Star Wars universe, so to speak, has what, maybe nine feature films, maybe three or four animations, uh, a uh, Christmas special, <laughs> and and fan fiction and all that. But if you want to compare Star Trek, Star Wars, any type of niche genre to wrestling, there's no question that maybe not quality sometimes, but quantity, we got a beat.
1: Oh, yeah. We got plenty to keep us happy. And I'll tell you in all there, I've invaded so many worlds throughout my years, whether I'm talking to a lawyer or a doctor when they hear wrestling, their eyes light up and they're in another world they start talking about their memories of pro wrestling and it just it takes off and it's like, man even in acting you meet famous people like Adam West, he loved Nikolai and I got to know Adam West over, because of Nikolai over the years, but he loved wrestling. He was a cool guy about it. So many people through the years just, they every. I think I'm going to say, I hate to say never say never or every, use the term everybody because I came from a world with the police department where you had to prove it in court or shut up. But I'd say 98% of people have wrestling members, males at least. It definitely males.
0: I'd go along with that. Well, Nikita Breznikoff, if I yes. said that properly, again, the movie again, um, is it Brush, Brush of Danger?
1: Brush with Danger, yes. Brush
0: with with Danger, with and uh, I want to encourage people, and your book, When It Was Real?
1: When It Was Real, yes. And uh, know, Listen, I'm on Cameo, too, and I just posted, here's the When It Was Real, and I, uh, I do the Cameo. You, uh, you have the person... Do a, a greeting. It's only like 30 seconds or a minute. And I said for Mother's Day, I'll do whatever you want. I say if you love your mother, you hate your mother, whatever <laughs> message you want to give to her, I'll do
0: it. Well, Nikita, I appreciate you being here, buddy. Thank you sir. And uh Thank people you. check it out. Thanks for watching the refs round table uh for the Wrestling with the Future podcast family. And if you're on YouTube Make sure you like and subscribe. Uh, we have many other content here on the YouTube channel on Wrestling with the Future. I've uploaded my interview with Vinny Paz, the 50-win boxer, who was the referee for WrestleMania's 15s uh, Butterbean vs. Bart Gunn. Uh, we've got my movie Disregard the Vampire, Mike Messier documentary. We've got my interview with the Sandman. Most importantly, we have the new Magnum TA interview with uh, psychic medium Angelo. Uh, Tombstone Jesus, um, Dan the Man, Sebastiano, and myself. And uh, we've got plenty of Nikita's interviews on the show on the YouTube channel as well. So even if you listen to us on Podbean or uh, Apple Podcasts, make sure you come over to YouTube and give us a like and subscribe. And we also have the Wrestling with the Future t-shirts in case anybody wants one. Uh, We'd be proud to have you have your uh, chest in our t-shirt, so to speak. Okay, Nikita, thank you so much, buddy.
1: Godspeed on you, brother.
0: Bye.